describe the Titanic for me? What did the Titanic look like? Oh, it's a beautiful shape. Great big. The floors, some of the floors is all glass. It's beautiful. The Titanic. And then... Did you, you want to tell them how we, they woke us up in the stateroom? Well, all right. Why don't you tell us about what happened on the night of April 14th? You had gone to bed, or were you still awake? No, we were picked up by the Lusitania. Oh. Wasn't it? Carpathian, I believe, wasn't it? Pardon? The Carpathian? No, I think it was... A, Mary, just a couple more questions about the Titanic. Um, when, after the Titanic went down, they offered claims. She never sunk. Yes, it did. It's gone. It sank right to the bottom of the ocean. You, That's the first I knew of it. I thought the other thing was I, I just thought she sprang a leak. Well, she had a 300-foot gash in her. She had a pretty good leak. That she really sank. She sank. As far as we know, she sank. That's the first I knew that. Hello and welcome back to episode 61 of Waking Up with Mel. And today we are going to talk about the drama of the Titanic. And did it ever sink? I'm going to try to make this podcast as unbiased as possible. I am just going to read you facts. I know in the past I get a little... Um, excited about certain information I find and I'm like what the heck because a lot of the times I'm finding this information with you guys I'm researching with you guys but this case in particular I have studied since November of 2023 and it started because I saw some newspaper articles um, that said everybody was safe from the Titanic and I'm like what how's this possible and then I started um researching that and you can find old newspaper articles very easily they're in lots of different public libraries and you can read them and they're free so i started doing that and every single newspaper was reporting that everybody was saved and even aster so then that takes everybody's conspiracies about the titanic and it makes them all of a sudden not make sense because if nobody died then these people that supposedly were against the federal banking system, which that's a whole nother podcast, never died. So if they never died on the Titanic, then they were kind of the first people to fake their death and they had a lot of wealth, not to mention all the other people that never got their wealth back because a lot of people had trunks of gold and all these things on that ship. So if the ship never sunk, then why is there shipwreckage in the ocean? Well, because ships have sunk before, lots of them. So we're going to get into this. But in order, I feel like, to really get deep into this story, we have to go back to the history of the company that was behind the Titanic. And when I started doing that, I started unlocking so many doors that I still basically don't have a final conclusion. But what I do think in my heart and soul is that the Titanic and the Olympic, which are called sister ships, are one and the same. I truly believe that now. So I don't believe the Titanic ever sunk. I'm just throwing that out there. This is my I believe. And I don't believe that the Titanic and the, and the sister ship Olympic were different ships. And I, I came to this conclusion for many different reasons. Reason number one, if you start to look up 
any websites about the Titanic, you will see these pictures of this grand staircase and all these beautiful things. But what's weird about it is they say that there's no pictures of the Titanic. If this is the most grand ship on the planet in the in that time, why would there be no pictures? Okay, weird. Two, I found some very fishy things when it went into, well, the Olympic, we have pictures of that, but here's pictures of the Titanic, and they're the same exact pictures in different, like, ways. So I can't quite figure that one out. If you go to the Library of Congress and you look up the pictures of the Titanic and the pictures of the Olympic, and they'll say Titanic, and they'll be, you know, Titanic smoking room, Olympic smoking room. They're the same exact picture at different angles. I'm like, okay. But then other people are like, well, there's no pictures of the Titanic. We'll make that make sense. Then you go back to the white star line. And this is where it gets real shady real fast. You start to see that they have this one catalog that was put out in 1911 um, advertising this ship. And it said the Olympic in like uh, quotes, the OG, it didn't say the OG. It said the Olympic OG Titanic. And I knew it was in Dutch this um certain it was in copenhagen um the town of copenhagen or i've never been there so i don't know if you guys call it towns over there but anyways it was out of that um it was dutch okay so the language was dutch and i didn't know if og meant of like the olympic of the titanic the, the olympic the og titanic like the big ship i don't know but there's only one catalog for both these ships supposedly so I believe the sister ship thing came about when they were covering up the sinking of this Titanic. I believe the Titanic and the Olympic were called this one and the same. It was a mix of ships. So if that makes sense to anybody. Okay. So now let's get into the White Star Line because this company is super interesting. And one, before I even get into the White Star Line, I want to say, in my opinion, I don't know exactly, I am not big into researching ships until just recently, but I do know as far as the world goes, um, if you've listened to my last few podcasts, that I believe the world was populated from the beginning of the time and then the flood came and then I believe Noah's kids went and spread it out again. And I've been reading the Bible and noticing them talking about especially in the book of Joshua, taking over lands and the lands east and north. And, and if you start to look at the old maps, you can start to find all these places that were spread out. And I found old America in the book of Joshua talked about and who took the land and today or yesterday. It was really cool. And so that being said, navigating the ocean has been gone it's gone on since noah's ark okay so that was they say the first ship that was ever built and it was ginormous it was huge so what's to say if that's the the start of ships why would they not have made big beautiful wonderful awesome titanic like ships these this titanic ship was three stories it had elevators had electricity and it was built in 1911 supposedly okay I, again, like any other old, what I call old world buildings, and once you your scales fall off your eyes, you will notice the difference between an old world beautiful building and a modern day construction building. And these buildings, I believe, are made in the old world, maybe pre-flood some of them, maybe after-flood some of them. 
And unfortunately, there's not many left in America because they've destroyed many of the castles that were here in my city in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There were castles and they're destroyed and apartment complexes are left in their place. But you can find historic pictures of the castles in every single town and across America. It's just amazing. And America, if you haven't listened to my podcast yet, was named after a guy named Amerigo because, you know, I don't know if you're the only one or I was the only one that didn't learn that in school, but America, the, America was not there at the beginning. It was named in the early 1500s, late 1400s, and that's when the maps changed, and that's when they started lying to everybody and brainwashing everybody with all these stupid stories. And now what I truly believe, guys, is that America is this little tiny section to the right of where Russia is to the left and Canada, you know, Canada is above us and all the things. But I believe that we were part of the old, what a lot of people call Tartaria, also known as Asia. And inside of Asia was this big, huge chunk of land that was called India. And now there's only one little section called India, but we were part of that India. And that's why the native Americans are called Indians because they were Indians from India which was now America. And that's a whole podcast. And I already did that. But I believe that they, when the Spanish fought for our land, along with the Brits and along with France, there's three countries that wanted to take over what was old school India. And they did. And I live in what was Mexico. And now it's called New Mexico. And it was taken over by Spain. And then you got you know, the East Coast that was taken over by more the Britain people in France. Um, as a matter of fact, New York used to be called New Amsterdam because the old Amsterdam people took it over and called it New Amsterdam. <laughs> okay. But they didn't take over all the Indian lands until the, you know, what they call the quote unquote civil war. It wasn't very civil, taking people's lands and sending them to reservations and good old Abraham Lincoln killing it the most, uh, Native Americans in modern history and a mass execution of 38 Dakotas. Again, another podcast. I'm going off. I'm going in the wrong direction here. But what I'm trying to say is I believe this country that I live in is the guinea pig country for those other countries because they don't do what they do in their own country, what they do over here. What they do over here is they do all these experiments on our food. We have chemtrails in our air. We have GMO disgusting food that should, animals shouldn't eat, that we eat, have to eat because there's no other food available. So yeah, I believe we are the guinea pig country for all the, for the other countries to see what happens when people live the way we live. And it's terrible. And I just wish we could go back to... One, being more united across the world without being a new world order or one, you know, nobody can have their own ideas. But just America needs to wake up and take back the fact that we don't want to be guinea pigs anymore. And we want the same rules on our food that people have in Europe. You can't even buy Tide in Europe because it causes cancer. But everybody in America uses it on all their clothes. It's just crazy. And, and because it smells good. <laughs> well, so it might cause cancer, but it smells good. That food might make you really fat and get cancer and diabetes, but it tastes good. That's how stupid it's become over here. So that being said, America's old. Ships have been built. And I believe the Titanic was founded 
quote unquote, just like they founded all these companies and all these buildings and all these, you know, things, right? They founded. And so I believe they truly found these ships and then claimed them and named them and said they built them and, you know, all the things that went on with these old world buildings. I believe the same thing happened with a lot of these old school ships. And, um, yeah, there's probably been shipmakers since Noah's kids that were part of building these Titanic ships. But who's to say if they weren't built by giants? Who's to say how long they really were around? Um, as far as the Titanic goes, oh, there's so much to say. All right, let's start with the whole background of the company that quote unquote founded the Titanic ship lines. And let's, let's read about all these ships. Another thing I find really interesting is if you go directly to the White Star Company, they talk about all their ships, except for the t Titanic. They have a whole separate, what the Titanic's like this separate thing. It's weird. It's weird. Let's talk about it. Okay. The White Star Line, it was a British shipping line founded out of the remains of a defunct packet company. It gradually rose up to become one of the most prominent shipping companies in the world, providing passenger and cargo services between the British Empire and what's now called the United States. While many other shipping lines focus primarily on speed, White Star branded their services by focusing a more uh, more on providing comfortable passages for both upper class travelers and immigrants. Today, the White Star is remembered for the innovative vessel Oceanic and for the losses of some of their best passenger liners, including the wrecking of the Atlantic in 1873, the sinking of the Republic in 1909, and the loss of the Titanic in 1912. So they've been sinking ships since 1873, supposedly, uh, which I find very interesting. And the wartime sinking of the Brit Britannic in 1916. So by just a short few years, they've sunk several ships, big ships, not just little baby ships. Despite its casualties, the company retained a prominent hold on shipping markets around the globe before failing to into decline during the Great Depression. White Star merged in 1934 with their chief rival, the Cunard Line, and the, the Cunard Line now slash White Star Line until the Cunard purchased the White Star share and joined company in 1950. The Cunard then operated as a single company until 2005 and is now a part of, guess what, Carnival Corporation. Yeah, good times. As a lasting reminder, so if you're on the Carnival Cruise, guess what? You're part of the White Star Line, which is actually part of the Cunard Line, which is actually the people that sunk all the ships. Good times. As a lasting reminder of the White Star Line, modern Cunard ships use the term White Star Services to describe the level of customer service expected on the company. The first company that uh, bearing the name White Star Line was founded... I love the word founded now because to me, that means they found it, <laughs> not built it, not established it, not, um, you know, what I, if, if they establish these companies, why isn't it established? Why is it founded? But anyways, founded in Liverpool, England by John 
Pinkton and Henry Wilson in 1845. Again, 1800s is when the complete takeover was happening across the world with everything that was no longer was anymore. By the 1800s, we have the world fairs going on. We have the complete mass brainwashing of this new civilization, quote unquote, that they want to, you know, here's here's the history, folks. And who writes the history? The winners of the wars, right? Okay. So in 1845, they're finding everything and everywhere, including America, and changing the names and changing history and, re, you know, renaming who built what. So according to this, John Pink, Pinkton and Henry Wilson in 1845 are the founders of this White Star Line. Its focus was the UK-Australian trade, which increased following the discovery of gold in Australia. And in 1851, because of this, many wished to immigrate to Australia and the population of Australia increased from 430,000 to 1.7 million. Can you imagine what that did to everybody that was native in Australia? Holy cow. This happened in just three years. From this time, Pinkton and Wilson emphasized the safety of their ships. <laughs> Real safe. Uh, when addressing the press, in order to make the crossing more pleasant, aboard these Astur wooden sailboats, musician groups were hired. Remember that uh, whole thing with the music music playing until the Titanic sunk into the water in the middle of the night in the cold, cold ocean? Jeez, these people, they make so much money on their lives. See, I'm not very good at being unbiased, am I? I just should just throw that right out the door. I am biased. I think that this is a bunch of crap and I'm sick of being lied to about everything and I'm sick and tired of the money shenanigans that go along with things like this and the innocent people that get screwed along the way. It just, it's just terrible and I'm really sick and tired of it and I'm just here to expose it and yeah, here we are. Okay, so in order to make the crossing more pleasant, they had their dancers and they had their music and yeah, they had their breakfast and they were just selling this. Okay, so people were taking their important assets and they were taking these boats and they were charting going across the countries to, you know, see if they wanted to move or live there. Just like that woman, Mary, who I will play more of her interview by the end of this podcast, stated at the beginning of this podcast, she went because she just wanted to go check out America. She had a brother-in-law and a sister over here. and She thought, hey, let me go check it out. Because, again, by the 1800s, they have pretty much started the takeover of all the native lands. So a lot of people are hearing and wanting to come and check it out. And at first this, you know, the natives were more than happy to have people come on over and trade with them. And they were very trusting people. But by the end of it, we saw what happened. They, they were lied to the treaties were broken. They were moved into reservations and they were killed. Women, men and children. Their homes were taken, their lands were taken, they were founded by these finders of the European countries that came over here and took them over, you know, the Rothschilds, the uh, all of it. It's weird to me waking up over these years, realizing that honestly, we're still ran by, you know, Britain and by certain other countries in many, many different ways. We're it's, it's weird. Our whole president thing and all that, we kind of bow down to other countries. Why is Washington, D.C. incorporated? You know, why is it not part of the U.S.? Why is it 
ran. Why is it called British Columbia? <laughs> you know, it's just stupid. Anyways, um, okay, back to the ships. So the fleet initially consisted of charter sailing ships called the RMS, which I looked that up and it means Royal Messenger Ship. Like it was like a ship for mail. And it was called the Tay Taylor, but it's T-A-Y-L-E-U-R, blue jacket, the White Star Red Jacket, the Ellen, the Ben, the Nevis, the Emma, the Mermaid, and the Iowa. Taylor was the largest ship of its day, and it was one which had high hopes. Okay, these ships all had high hopes, but these high hopes were dashed quickly. Uh, departing on its maiden voyage on January 19th, 1854, the Taylor proved difficult to handle and its, and its crew was inexperienced, probably because they stole the ship and they didn't know how to drive it. <laughs> so in 1854, when they wanted to go take it out on a little joyride, they didn't do a real good job and they right away struck rocks in the rough sea and it was by Lamb Bay Island near Ireland and the ship sank with only 290 people surviving of the 650 people on board. Blame of this shipwreck went to the owners of that company and it, that owner was called Charles Moore and Company and they blamed him for not taking necessary precautions. So by 1864, so within 10 years, they merged with two other lines, and that was called the Black Ball Line and the Eagle Line. So basically what that did is it took these three ship companies and made them have a monopoly over the navigation system, in my opinion. So you now have the the Liverpool, the Melbourne, and the Oriental Steam Navigation Company Limited. So under the White Star umbrella, you have these three ship companies running. So with that, they were able, under Wilson's leadership still, to borrow large amounts of money to finance, quote unquote, new construction, including the second seamer, the Cyrus. So now the Cyrus comes into the picture. So worried, Chambers left the company and was replaced by John Cunning, but the business did not improve. Cyrus had been sold before it could enter service. So they sold the ship even before they could use the ship. Interesting, right? The merger did not prosper and White Star broke away so they can concentrate on, you guessed it, Liverpool to, to New York City services. So this is when the whole going from Liverpool to New York service started. All right. So we are in the 1864 area around that time. So heavy investment in new ships was financed by borrowing the company's bank, the Royal Bank of Liverpool, and that failed in October of 1867. The White Star was left with an incredible debt uh, that was equivalent to $57 million in 2019. Back then it was $527,000. And they were forced into bankruptcy. So by 1867, White Star was bankrupt. Well, then you might ask yourself, how did the White Star make the Titanic? Well, on January 18th, 1918, not 19, 1868, Thomas Ismay. Now, Thomas, he might have been an okay dude. I don't really know. But his son who took over the company, 
from a testimony I'm hearing from a lady on the Titanic was a total douchebag. And what it sounds like to me that this Bruce, I think his name is Bruce. I could be wrong there, but his son, Thomas's son, Mr. I S M A Y son, who has the same last name as his dad. And I believe his name is Bruce, but we'll get to him. He sounds like wanted all the women and children off the boat, off the Titanic. So there's a lights out on the boats at 1130. Everybody needs lights out night, night time by 1130 on the boats. So everybody's in bed and all of a sudden this dude, son, starts waking everybody up at like 1230 at night. And he's like, get up, get up. We hit, a, we hit something. We hit something. Get up. So as far as everybody knows, they're sleeping. Sound like a tactic they use again, right? In the past, all these false flags we see all the time and all these things that happen all the time. Well, a lot of unexpecting people are, you know, involved. A lot of people know exactly what's happening and what they're doing. And they, there's many people involved in the big picture, finance, money, quote unquote, let's sink a ship type of thing, right? So they wake up all these passengers on the Titanic at 1230 at night. They're all sleeping. It's not like the movie, guys. Okay. There's no big old love stories going on. Well, maybe there was, but in the real life story, everybody's in bed. Boom, boom, boom. By the way, there's maids taking care of babies. So the babies aren't with the moms or with their, their, you know, the rich people have all their little maids with them and all the things. So everybody, boom, 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 wake up. And we need to get the women and the children off the boat. Well, a lot of women in the one I'm going to play you in particular, actually, I'll play you right after this. She tells the story that I'm not, I'm not going to get, go sit in a boat. There's nothing wrong with this boat. They told them they needed to go get in a lifeboat so they could do for protocol so they could make sure everything's okay. And then they could come back on for breakfast is what they're telling the passengers in the moment. And this particular woman who's sharing this story says, I'm not going to go get, sit in a boat and be cold. I'm going to go back to bed. So she said three different times she thought about it, but then was like, no way. I'm just going to go back to my place. And she was also, as she described, wearing a really, uh, it sounded to me like a slip or something. And it was really hard to walk in. She actually, she describes it in her, in her story. And I'll let her tell her story because I think it's an important story to hear. And she can barely walk in this thing. She sounds like a penguin walking around, you know, trying to walk in this like tight little skirt and everybody's in their jammies, you know, like they just got woke up and they have coats on because it's cold. And all of a sudden they're getting thrown into these lifeboats for quote unquote, um, you know, have to reasons. Oh, we just protocol. got to do this real quick. And not very many guys are getting on. They're like, no, they, you know, but I think, and that's why the lifeboats weren't full because only a few people were like, okay, I'll get on the lifeboat. And a lot of people were like, no. And by the end, it sounds like soldiers. Why are there soldiers on the Titanic? I don't know. And sailors are throwing women and babies like rag dolls into these boats to get them off the ship, even though the ship's not sinking. Okay. So then the story goes according to these survivors that another ship comes and picks them up and they're on that other, they get off the Titanic by two o'clock, their testimony, I'm going to play it. And by like eight or nine o'clock the next morning. So that would be the morning of April 15th. They are all picked up 
off these boats and they're now on two different ships and they're take they're taken to what's called Halifax, which I believe is in Canada. And so, or New York, some of them went to New York. I don't know. Anyways, that part we need to clarify as we go further down the story. I think some of them were taken to Canada and some of them were taken to, to New York because they were again, two different ships. So this is all reported in the Monday morning papers. Okay, and Monday evening papers. And this is where it says all passengers are taken off. There were some notables. Oh my goodness, Astor and Alt Strauss and all these wonderful notables with their wives were safe. Thank God. And even one paper talks, and I'll read these papers to you. Um, again, this is probably going to be a two part series. Maybe I'll wrap it up in one. We'll see. Um, but all these newspapers report what happened and how it got a hole and guess what ship has a picture of a hole in it guys the olympic yeah you sure can find a picture of the olympic with a big fat hole in it and guess what ship didn't sink the olympic and guess what ship was in service for years until like 1935 the olympic and guess what ship doesn't have records of passengers until the 1920s the olympic and maybe it does, and I just can't find it. But um, according to, you know, history, it should have passengers since 1911. And I did do like, it was so hard to find a list. It didn't even look like a real list. Because if you go to the White Star Line, it will show you all the passenger list, who was on the ships, all their names, has their old school book. This one's more digital that I found from the 1911, supposed first um, maiden voyage of the Olympic. But what's funny is there's that voyage of the Olympic, supposedly in 1911. Then there's the Titanic voyage of 1912, where it supposedly sunk, but the Olympic got a hole in it, and so did the Titanic. Then the Olympics off the scene for months after the Titanic supposedly sinks, probably because it's getting fixed, right? The old uh, Titanic <laughs> Olympic that possibly did hit something because there was a really a hole in the Olympic. We'll talk about that later. And so both ships are off the scene. Olympic goes to war and is in war now for and different colors painted on it and all that gets out of World War One and then goes back to cruising passengers across the ocean until um, 1935. Meanwhile, all her parts get taken out and guess what we have we have titanic movies we have titanic museums we have all these things about this titanic ship but not the olympic and supposedly there's no pictures of the titanic and the pictures of the olympic are the exact same pictures of the titanic that they do show of the titanic <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. they're not very good at lying let's just say that and they always seem to get busted Okay, so we'll go back to the White Star and all the ships that sunk before the Titanic and after the Titanic. But, and weird that there's no movies about those ships, right? But right now, let's play that um, testimony of the lady who was thrown overboard in the middle of the night by Thomas's son on the Titanic. And then we'll get back to Schwab and how they all got their little paws in on this, sh this ship and insurance and all the things, oh, all the scams that make money, and all the innocent people that 
and I, I wonder how much these people that actually went along with saying they saw the ship sink. Oh, that's another thing. So they get on the ship at nine o'clock. Some of these testimonies are like, and I watched that ship sink. And like, I think Hearst, Charles Hearst was like, yeah, and I got off the ship as it was. You would have been sucked in Charles Hearst. If you were on the ship as it was sinking, you would have got sucked in. Like they say the suction to that would have been over a mile long. And then, yeah, so they're like, yeah, and I just watched it sink. And then, but guess what the story, the history says about Titanic. It says it hit the iceberg at 12 and it was sunk by two o'clock. Well, the testimony of the survivors say they didn't even get off the ship till two and were on a different ship by nine in the next morning. So they they were on a boat from two to nine and then they got moved to a different boat. And then I don't think anybody saw the ship sink because I don't think the ship sunk. Right. So how much did they get paid to lie all those years? And then you have poor old Mary over here like, oh, it sunk. I don't remember that lie. What I remember is the truth. <laughs> so stupid. All right, let's listen to this lady's testimony. That boat was built in Scotland. And it just, oh, came, yes. and it just came down the side of England to Southampton. And that's where we left from, Southampton, on a beautiful day, Wednesday morning. Sun was shining real you nice. Remember that all? And the bands were all playing on the wharf and all of People Was it healed over? Well, then I, uh, I went out to, 
I, I managed my way to get through over to the side of the ship, you know, and by mm -hmm. the railing, and they were filling boats already then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of people there that they were going to get in the boat, and then they changed their mind. They, they said they'd be safer on the big boat, and they wouldn't get in those little boats. Oh, yeah, see, no the big boat was here, and then the little boat was still like this, and yeah. then lower down. Well, it was hanging on the roof, and, of course. And a lot of them looked down, and the waves looked so treacherous, you know, yeah. in the middle of the sea like that. Or like the and at night? Sky and water, you know. So, but anyways, I, that boat got lower down, and I didn't get in it, so I just moved my way along the railing and I got I got in the next boat and there were still people there that wouldn't go in the boat they said they'd be safer on there so it was some of them it was their own fault you know I suppose but I took a chance <laughs> so was the boat was your lifeboat completely filled with people when oh, I was yes. they all were as far as I know but they mm -hmm. were all full and then we were in those little boats all night icebergs all around us and in the morning, we saw a little speck just like that, and that was the Carpathia. Oh, you were picked up by the Carpathia? We were picked up on the Carpathia. So everybody had, well, during the night, there was a sailor in each boat, and during the night, they, um, they would holler to each other, you know, so that one wouldn't get lost. Because if one got lost, you would never get found anymore, you know. So that was the way that happened. Well, then it was about, maybe about nine o'clock the next morning. We were in those little boats all night. It was mm -hmm. about nine o'clock. It was cold. Yeah. You oh, just yeah. had your nighting and your raincoat on. And your yeah. Right. <laughs> it must have been pretty cold. I had. We saw that boat and everybody had a road to that Carpathia. Mm -hmm. And you know, they had a they had a swing, just like a little child swing with the board on it. Mm -hmm. well, one by one, we had to sit on that and help our feet up. A bosom chair, yeah. A higher ship. That's right. And we got up. I was wondering how we're getting up. There was two men up there with a windlass. And they were cranking you up one at a time. Yeah. From the lifeboat onto the cafe there. So, yeah, from the, well, see, that that ship, it wasn't as big as the Titanic by any means, but still it was a big, it was a sea-going big vessel. Yeah, sure, though. It's pretty high. Well, I think it had almost a full load on itself. And then to take on 750 passengers, that's how many we were, extra, that made a lot of, lot of work. I didn't get sick, but I did catch a cold. I didn't, the only thing I wanted was an orange, and, and that little waiter was real good to run around till he found me one. In New York, that was, we were glad to get in there, but we got in there about maybe around 11 o'clock. I never saw so many people in my life, and I saw a lot of people. <laughs> like, oh, there must have been great mobs waiting for the Carpathia. By that time, everybody knew. They were all over everywhere. And they had it roped off like that so mm -hmm. that people couldn't get in too close, you know. But when we got there, there was a, a Red Cross. It must have been Red Cross. Oh, a huge room. So everybody that wanted to go in there, they had lunch and they had all kinds of clothes, you know, everything. Because yeah, here you are, you're getting off the Carpathia in New York. You've got no baggage, <laughs> no shoes, no socks. No, I think we had, well, they had everything there that you wanted, so at least we got dressed. Yeah. But then there was different people there that wanted to take 
take some of us, you know. I mean, so I, the lady that I came with, I went with her. I went to a lady's house. She wanted us to stay there. Okay, so that's not the one I was wanting to play. I'm going to play that one next. But I just wanted you to hear that as well, you know, two stories there. Um, so now we're going to listen to the next lady who is thrown off the ship because she did not want to get on one of those lifeboats. And I also want to mention, I thought, found that interesting that 750 people got on the Carpath Carpathia, I think is how you say it. Um, and then the other ship took the rest. So everybody was counted for, but then after the end of the day, that's those people they say are the only survivors that were on that ship because the other ship is never talked about again in the newspapers that had supposedly the other survivors on it. Uh, again, I don't think the Titanic sunk. They might have taken everybody off, but I'm sure some people stayed on the ship. I don't. Anyways, who knows? I do believe that the Olympic, aka Titanic, got a hole in it and that they probably took people off just to be safe. I also think that maybe they thought the insurance would cover it according to the newspapers and that's why they said, "Oh, well, let's just quote unquote sink this thing." <laughs> Plus, look at all the things they got to keep from the innocent people that didn't really know the truth. Um okay, so next lady, but anybody who says they watched it sink cuz that lady did say, "Oh yeah, they the reporter I didn't play that part was like, "Did you see the Titanic sink?" "Oh yeah, we were just far enough not to get sucked in." supposedly blah 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 it's like no you didn't and and you would think that'd be more like you wouldn't have to ask did you see you would think that'd be part of your story yeah we got on the ship and then oh my god and then i watched as it sunk and all those hours no that part's never even talked about unless somebody directly asked did you see it sink and then the other lady's like it didn't sink this lady's like oh yeah but let's talk more about what happened to me getting to new york and seeing all and don't you think it's weird when they got to new york they roped everybody off so they couldn't get to the people and they brought them to tents to feed them and give them clothes and stuff and then sent people to pick them up and bring them to their houses interesting right and back then i don't believe there was tvs that people were watching so the only media they had was radio telegrams and uh newspaper so the newspaper couldn't do fake news as good, right? Like they tell the truth and then they have to lie. So they lie three days later. We'll get to that too. Or it might've been the next day. It might've been by the 16th. So that they got everybody safe early morning, April 15th, everybody safe and sound. But by the 16th, so even evening papers of April 15th are saying everybody's safe. Wow. Thank God for wireless communication. And now it's April 16th and they're saying, Paperboy, you know, everybody's out there lost, lost lives and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's bought it all these years. Okay. So here's the story that I wanted to play with the lady with the tight skirt that got thrown off the boat. Into me vividly. Every detail of the horror of that accident, I remembered in detail in the lifeboat. But carrying that pig, which became your mascot, how did you get from the Titanic into the lifeboat? Well... I made up my mind I wasn't going to leave the ship. Bruce Ismay stood on B-deck and kept calling out, all women and children, come to B-deck. I went up twice. It was so cold. I thought myself, was idiotic. I'm going back. And I went back twice to A-deck and sat down until finally Bruce Ismay spied me and called out to me. He said, 
all women and children. I thought it left the ship. Come up here. And I walked up to B-Deck, and Bruce's mate picked me up, well, it was almost as if I was a, a rat terrier, and threw me down a little winding iron staircase. I fell down the iron staircase and found myself between a line of sailors on either side. And I looked down and found I'd lost one of my buckles on my shoe. Uh, I wanted that buckle. I was that much interested in the buckle and absolutely disinterested in anything pertaining to saving my life because after all it was an unsinkable ship, you see. What could happen to me? Moreover, I had my little pig. Nothing could happen to me. So I walked along the rail and I found a gentleman standing at the rail. Strangely enough, the very gentleman that I had told on the tender that I was frightened to take the Titanic. And he said to me, hello. Come on. You're going to get off of this ship. And I said, not me. How do you expect me to get off of anything with, with this thing I've got on? I'm a prisoner in my own skirt. I can't even walk much less get up to that rail and then jump across the ocean into a lifeboat. Oh, no, not me. I'm not an acrobat. Well, he says, you'll have to. And as I stood there arguing with him, and I had my little pig, mind you, under my arm. It was white. You know, under my arm. A sailor came along. He said, yeah. Now you can do as you want, but I'm going to save your baby. And he grabbed the pig, threw it into the lifeboat. So I turned around to Mr. Monk and I said, that settles it. Here I go. I don't know how I'm going to go, but I've got to go. I'm going to follow that pig. I promised my mother. Well, he thought I was insane. Nobody what the pig meant to me. So he made a cradle of his hands with another gentleman. I sat on his hands, put my arms around his neck, and he threw me head foremost through space. And I fell on the bottom of the boat and kept looking and looking for my pig. I found him with his broken, poor little legs broken, and his nose gone. Well made me feel very badly, but I kind of turned him. I found he was still playing music, so that was all right. Can and you I, remember how many of you there were in the lifeboat? Yes. I've managed to find a place on the gunwale and found that I was the next to last passenger in the last lifeboat and the only lifeboat that was full. 68 passengers about one-third of them nearly children. That was the only lifeboat that carried the children. And how long before you were picked up? Well, as we left the ship, the four lines were knotted. They cut them with a knife. We struck the water. I think it was ten minutes to two or five minutes to two. 
The ship stood there fully lighted, absolutely lighted, music playing. We heard that in the lifeboat. We still saw the lighted ship alongside. In our lifeboat, we had three sets of oars, perfectly useless. The ocean was just as flat, well, as a bathtub. I never saw a lake quite that flat. Inky black night, starlit, and not a ripple in the sea. And the kind of cold, well, if you want to know what kind of cold it is, just open your Frigidaire door. Take a seat inside and shut the door, and you'll know what it felt like. The kind of cold that your skin seemed to congeal. Now, there I was, with nothing on practically, no underwear, no nothing, just about freezing to death. I sat on the gunwale, and the children were crying and whimpering. It suddenly struck me, I believe I'll play music, and then the little children maybe will be diverted and amused. And there I sat, and all night long I played the machiche, and the poor little children were so interested in the music box that most of them stopped crying, except in one little fellow. He skilled like a pig, and strangely enough, years later, only a few years ago, there was a reunion of Titanic survivors in New York, very few of us, and a great big strapping six-footer came up to me, I believe he said he was a grandfather, said to me, I was one of the babies in your lifeboat. And I said, well, I don't recognize you. You look so different today. He said, yes, I'm grown up now. But my mother's here. And then I remembered that that little baby had been thrown by his mother in the wastebasket. And she just walked off the ship, took a lifeboat, forgot all about the baby, and only remembered when she got on the Carpathia that she ever did have a baby. And were it not for the stewardess that heard a whimpering in the wastebasket in one of the cabins, that six-footer would not have been there to talk to me. So that's the only time I've ever been reunited with one of the babies. And how long was it before the Carpathia picked you up? Well, we left the ship at ten minutes to two. It was five minutes to eight, I, they told me. Well, we got alongside of the Carpathia the next morning. And at that time, Bruce Ismay pulled up alongside in a frilled, least frilled shirt, black trousers with stripes, braids down, no overcoat, not dressed, and not in the lifeboat, as people claim, standing up in the last collapsible raft he came alongside 
a few minutes after we, the last lifeboat, pulled alongside of the Carpathia. I boarded the Carpathia around about 8 o'clock. They put us on little wooden planks with a rope around us. I think they call it boatswains, cradles or something of that kind. I'm not really up on nautical terms. I ought to be, but I'm not. Have you ever traveled by boat since? I only travel by ship. I never will travel by airplane. And I've traveled time and again since. And Franklin of the White Star made me return six months later in the same cabin with the same setup so that I would not be frightened on an ocean steamer. But after the Titanic, on the same White Star Line, I was on the Majestic when she broke in half, and I was on the Olympic when she struck a tidal wave. As a matter of fact, a great many of the captains sort of avoided me. And I often wonder if the Titanic could have escaped me. I really believe sometimes I sunk the Titanic. I don't think you sunk the Titanic, but I do think you went along with the story and happened to be in a lot of wrong places at the wrong time. That's weird. How much money did the White Star pay you? <laughs> Interesting. So, I hope they weren't trafficking kids for this Titanic thing, but that story about the mom not knowing she had a baby in a basket? Like, what? Weird. And that's the only kid she ever met after that? So, the whole thing's weird. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so we got the survivors, but now let's go back to this White Star line. All right, so now we're going to go back to, Tom, I think she said his name was Bruce Ismay, the son. Um, why can't I remember his name? Anyways, Thomas, the dad, he's the director of the National Line. So they purchased the house flag trade name at the goodwill of the bankrupt company for a thousand bucks. So they buy White Star that went bankrupt modern day millions of dollars for a thousand bucks all right so in comes ismay savior of the day rebuys this name for a thousand bucks and um his intention was operating large steamships on the north atlantic service between liverpool and new york ismay established the company headquarters at the albion house in liverpool ismay was approached by another dude guess what his last name is Schwab, Christian Schwab, and he is a prominent Liverpool merchant, and his nephew, the shipbuilder, Guavastad, G-U-S-T-A-V, that's not a name we use here in America, with something Wolf, during a game of billiards. So we got Schwab and Wolf, and they meet during a game of billiards, and Schwab is offering to finance this new line of Ismay. Okay, so they're going to build some ships. So they establish this company. It's called Harlan and Wolf. And Ismay agrees and they partner with Harlan and Wolf. And guess what gets established? This new company. They receive their first orders to build their first ship on July 30th, 1869. The agreement was that they would build the ship at a cost. So they would just pay, you know, whatever it costs. That's what they would get paid plus a fixed percentage. But they would not build any vessels for any of White Star's competitors, okay? So by 1870, another guy named William I-M-R-I-E, Imre, Imre, joins the company. 
as the first ship was being commissioned. Ismay formed the White Star Line with a capital of $400,000, and he divided it into shares of $1,000. The company is managed by a new firm, Ismay, Emery, and Company. Despite the complex organization, the shipping company was known publicly throughout the existence as the White Star Line. So White Star is owned by these heavy hitters, um, and it's all done under... The, like I said, the umbrella of the White Star, but lots of different corporations and sub-corporations underneath this going on already. Ismay is also a stockholder in all the competitors. So even though he owns a competing ship ship company, a.k.a. Harland and Wolf, he also has his hands in all the other, like lots of other ship companies too. So this guy's all into the shipping company. Then... Um, they decide in 1871 that they would start traveling from Liverpool. That would be the route to New York. That's that's what they were going to do. So they start in 1871. But guess what? It got off to a rocky start because their maiden voyage, it was the Oce- Oceanic, was the name of the ship. On March 2nd, she parted Liverpool with only 64 passengers aboard. Once she made port in Queenstown, the following day, she went to pick up more passengers before proceeding to New York. However, once they left this port, the the ship had some uh, mechanical errors or issues and they had to turn around. They didn't end up getting to New York until late March, like March 28th, and they finally got to New York. Once the ship did arrive in New York, all the New Yorkers there were just marveled by it and it grew a lot of attention so she departed her second voyage liverpool may 11th arrived in new york may 23rd this time she had seven 407 passengers um so everything's good but then by the summer so just a few months go by another public threat happens and this time one of the six ships the names originally selected for the third and six ships of the class had initially been pacific and arctic which, when mentioned to the press, appeared on lo- alongside references to two ships of the same names, which had belonged to the now defunct Colin Line, both of which were lost at sea. Okay, so do you understand what I just read? They're saying that the Pacific and the Arctic were two ships that were lost at sea, belonging to a different line. Could it possibly be the same exact ships and they didn't change the name and that caused problems? Hmm, I don't know. But it sounds like they did that with the Olympic and Titanic too. So were they lost at sea or were they stolen at sea? That's another question I have. But anyways, in the cases of both ships, of which had been wooden hulled paddle steamer, Arctic was foundered off of the coast of the Newfoundland, which is America, in September of 1854 after colliding with another ship, resulting in the loss of 300 lives. While the Pacific just vanished, like nowhere to be seen, with 860 people, 800, oh, sorry, not 800, 186 people on board in January of 1856. So I hope you can see that there's big ships in the middle of the 1800s that are just missing. Weird, right? Um, okay, so as a result, the White Star made arrangements to change the names of these two ships. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, White Star. The third ship, which had been launched as Pacific on March 8th, 1871, was renamed the Baltic. So let's talk about the OG Pacific, the one that was renamed Baltic or possibly 
not. I don't know. <laughs> so to me, what it sounds like is the Pacific was stolen and they didn't change the name. And then the press caught wind and they kind of got picked off for this. So they renamed it the Baltic. But let's talk about the Pacific, the one, the, the OG. It says that that career began on a high note when she set a new transatlantic speed record. So this is a fast ship uh, in her first year of service. However, after only five years in operation, the ship with her entire and complete of almost 200 passengers and crew vanished without a trace during a voyage from Liverpool to New York City, which began on January 23rd, 1856. As of 2023, the Pacific's fate is not known. <laughs> but guess what? A message in a bottle was found on a remote island of Eust, U-I-S-T, with the Hebrides in 1861 that said she was sunk by icebergs. Do we believe it? Okay, so the other ship that was the Arctic, the one that lost 300 lives, they renamed that one the Celtic because they, you know, they didn't want to have a bad reputation. But by 1873, the RMS Atlantic and the loss of the 535 lives near Halifax, Nova Scotia, this was in March. And you guessed the route, guys. Yeah. While en route from New York to Liverpool and miss a vicious storm, the Atlantic attempted to make port at Halifax. It's reported. So they're making this stop so they can get coal to make it to New York to make the trip. Okay. But it says that while making this stop, she sank in shallow water because she hit some rocks. That makes no sense. But apparently they really hired some ca crappy captains on these ships. Despite being so close to shore, a majority of those on board drowned, with 585 of the 952 people on board perishing. Where's the movie about that? <laughs> so White Star found itself being accused of not having supplied enough coal with the ship, while the captain was sanctioned for having acted in an in, in, uh, irresponsible manner. The crew was blamed for serious navigational errors by the Canadian Inquiry, although the British Board of Trade Investigations cleared the company of extreme wrongdoings. Isn't this crazy? So the crew was blamed for serious errors and uh, the captain got in trouble. But then the British Board cleared the company of wrongdoing. Although the Atlantic was quickly erased from advertisements of the White Star Line, it was not forgotten. With a personal contribution from Ismay, there his name is again, the company financed the maintenance and the graves of the victims in 1915. Guess what? That's the same year there was the quote-unquote Titanic victims. Right? The year after, 1914. Isn't that weird how it just all lines up? It contributed to the construction of the monument dedicated to the victims. So maybe these are the victims of the that the insurance needed to pay. So maybe that's why they did the fake Titanic. I don't know, guys. But it's just not, it's not mathing up here. So the year after the Titanic, they actually do have this monument to victims of a shipwreck of the same ship line. Um, but in order to preserve the financial health of the company, the Asia Tech and the Tropic were immediately sold. 
And then the plot thickens by 1882. The Shaw, Seville, and the Albon Line was founded, another founding of another ship company, and it decided to open a route to New Zealand. But guess what? It lacked experience. So where do you go to find experience? Well, duh, go to the people who constantly wreck ships. So they did. They went to the White Star Line. Therefore, they proposed to provide a joint service. And this joint service started in 1884. So now with the Coptic, the Doric, and the Ionic in 1883, supplied by White Star, with Shaw, Seville, and Abion providing Aria and Tania. These are all ships. These ships called at Australia on on the outward journey and through the Panama Canal on the return trip. From 1902, this joint service saw ships renewed with the arrival of the Atheanic, I'm probably saying all these ships wrong, the Corinthic, and the second Ionic. So now we have two Ionics because, you know, they like having two ships <laughs> of the same names. And they were operated until 1930. The link between the two companies persisted even, persisted even after the disappearance of the White Star Line with the Shaw, Seville, and Albion Line continuing to use White Star's lever use of the IC at the end of ship's names. Okay, let's talk about Thomas a little bit more. So Thomas Ismay, he was financed by the British government. And that's why these ships were not designed just to be passenger liners, but they were also armed as merchant cruisers. And that is also why they were used in the war, because they were financed by the government. So they could use them at any time they pleased, for whatever they pleased. And that's exactly what happened. But what happened to poor Mr. Thomas is he suffered his death on November 23rd, 1899, and he was only 62 I believe, yep, he had a heart attack. Um, in the immediate aftermath, the control of the company was passed to from Thomas to his son, Bruce. Um, and he was named the chairman of the line. And we heard what Bruce did to his customers, just throw, go throw them downstairs in their dresses. Jerk. Okay, before I end this podcast, this is definitely going to be a part two. Uh, podcast. This is part one of a part two podcast. Before I end this, I want to talk really quickly about the captain of the Titanic. His name was Edward Smith. Mr. Edward was born January 27th, 1850. He died supposedly on the Titanic and that would be um, April 9th, April 15th. Okay. I said earlier, 1914. It's 1915. So the same year, the same exact year they did that whole other thing for the other ship people is the same year that supposedly the Titanic sunk. Supposedly he went down with it, you know, got to go down as a hero. Um, his spouse was Sarah Pennington and they had one child named Helen. Now it says, and his, as far as his career goes, that he joined the White Star Line in 1880 and he was the fourth officer of the SS Celtic. He served aboard the company's liners to Australia and to New York City, where he quickly rose in status. In 1887, he received the first White Star Command of the Republic. Smith failed his first navigation exam, but on the next attempt following week, he passed. And in February of 1888, Smith earned his extra master's certificate. Smith joined the Royal Naval Reserve, receiving commission as a lieutenant which enlisted him to add as the letters R and R after his name. 
That meant that in time of war, he could be called upon to serve in the Royal Navy. Mr. Smith, he was also the captain of the Majestic for nine years, commencing in 1895. Then there was this war. It was called the Second Boer War, which I know nothing about, broke out in 1899. At this time, Mr. Captain Smith's ship, the Majestic, was called into the war. And Smith made two trips to South Africa, both without incident. Because of that, in 1903, King Edward VII awarded him with a transport medal, showing the South African class. Smith was regarded as a safe captain. He was also known as a millionaire's captain. From 1904, Smith commanded the White Star Line's newest ships on their maiden voyages. In 1904, he was given the command of what was the largest ship in the world, the Baltic. Her maiden voyage from Liverpool to New York, sailing on July 29, 1904, without incident. After three years with the Baltic, Smith was given his second new big ship, the Adriatic. Once again, his maiden voyage went without incident. During his command of the Arctic, Smith received the long service uh, decoration for officers of the Royal Naval Reserve. And now we're going to end with the Olympic because you know what, Miss, that's what's talked about here the whole time, not the Titanic. So after he gets his decorations, he's known as one of the world's most experienced sea captains. And he was called upon to take the command of the lead ship of this new class of ocean liners, the Olympic. Again, the largest vessel in the world at the time. The maiden voyage to Southampton to New York was successful, concluded on the 21st of June, 1911. But as the ship was docking in New York Harbor, a small incident took place on Pier 59 under the command of Captain Smith with the assistance of a harbor pilot. The Olympic was being assisted by 12 tugs when one got caught in the backwash of the Olympic, spun around, collided with a bigger ship, and for a moment was trapped under the Olympic stern, finally managing to work free and limp to the dock. This is where the problem started for the Olympic. September 20th, 1911. It was the first mishap. So what happened is it collided with another ship. And it, this ship was a British warship called the HMS Hawk. And when this happened, the Hawk lost her prow. And although the collision left two of the Olympics um, compartments filled and one of her propeller shafts twisted, she was still able to limp back to Southampton. As a result, though, there's always those inquiries that happen. The Royal Navy blamed the Olympic and find, finding her a massive size generated the suction and pulled the Hawk into the side. Captain Smith had been on the bridge during the event. The Hawk incident was the, a financial disaster for the White Star. Once again, financial problems. And the out of service time for the big liner was, made matters worse. So the story goes that because of this incident, they had to delay the making of the Titanic. Um, okay, so whatever, we'll go with that. So by 1912, the Olympics back in sea. So February of 1912, the Olympics back in sea. But then it lost a propeller blade and once again had to return for emergency repairs. To get her back to service immediately, it said that Harlan and Wolf again had to pull resources from the Titanic delaying her maiden voyage from April or March 20th to April 10th. 
So they're saying that's why her maiden voyage was um, delayed a month. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So next week, we're going to pick back up on this podcast. Um, We're going to get a little deeper into each one of these ships because almost all the ships that came from the White Star Line sunk. (laughs) There weren't very many that made it. In fact, the Olympic was one of the only ones. Um, So we're going to talk about all the shipwrecks in the line of the White Star and we will get to the Titanic. But I also am going to read next week um, these actual newspaper clips. But if you want to do some homework and go read them for yourselves, they're a really good time to read. And they're all across the country. You know, there wasn't just one newspaper, several. So we'll read those. We'll read what Astor and his wife and, you know, how they sent a telegram to his private secretary. And it's all in the papers. But then two days later, he's dead. He really didn't get saved. That was just all made up, I guess. Fake news. Dear Lord, I pray so hard against fake news. I'm so sick of it. And I know that a lot of people are. I pray that podcasts like mine will start to wake people up and start to get them to get out of this complacency we've been in and start to dig for truth and to share the truth and let the truth set us all free. And Lord, if we've been wrong, show us. Let us know the truth. We don't want to be liars. We don't want to tell lies. We are here, all of us truth-seeking people, to share the knowledge that we've learned with the people who actually care and want to learn about it. So thank you so much, Lord, for giving me the time and ability to continue with this podcast and for the people that choose to listen to it. I ask that you just rain blessings and um, take away all fear and just give them peace in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, guys. See you next week, hopefully. It's been hard to do these podcasts. Time seems to get away from me, but I'm trying. I'm going to try to get part two out as soon as possible. Talk to you soon.